Today we're going to be back in the Gospel of John. I guess I shouldn't say back. We've not left in a couple of years, it doesn't seem, I don't think. Chapter 16. We've been working our way through this farewell discourse for several months now. Jesus has been comforting his disciples about his impending death. He's been slowly revealing his glory as he goes. He's telling them, I'm going away. But a helper's coming, another helper. The hour has come that the Son of Man be glorified. That's what he tells the disciples when the Greeks, back in chapter 12, asked to see Jesus. They said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Remember that. That should be our, our desire this morning, sir. We wish to see Jesus. The hour has come that he may be glorified. His departure would bring the, the Holy Spirit, which would be to their benefit, he tells us. Right now, we're toward the end of Passion Week. I wanted to try to finish chapter 16 because chapter 17, in my opinion, is the most glorious chapter in the whole Bible. If you disagree, we can fight later. But there was no way that we could get through this um, and do it any kind of justice. Remember, right now, we're just a few hours before his death, and, and what he's doing is, is consoling those around him. He's, his love is pouring out to them, though he's about to die a horrific death. The first half of this book is about three and a half years. Chapters 12 through about half of chapter 19 are the Passion Week. The last half of chapter 19 through 21 is his resurrection. There's a lot of information in this second half of this glorious book. You got three and a half years and you got about a week. Our verse today, our section today will be John chapter 16, verses 23 through 27. If you're able, I would ask you to please stand as we give honor to the Holy Word of God. This is the Word of God. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I shall pray to the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Let's pray. Oh, merciful Father, we thank you so much for your word that you were revealed to us. We thank you for the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, which inspired this word. We just pray that you would fill us with that spirit this morning, that we may grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As the scripture says, Lord, we, we wish to see Jesus this morning. We love you and we praise you. And all of God's children said, in the name of Christ, amen. So in that day, so last week we saw the idea of a little while back in verse 16. And in Joshua, whenever in the resurrection, it's going to be a time of joy in chapter, in verse 
chapter 20, verse 20, it brings great joy when the disciples see the risen Christ, obviously. And in Christ's ultimate return, there's going to be joy. In Revelation 21, it says that every, every tear will be wiped away. There's no more, no more sorrow, no more, no more sickness. That brings joy. That brings great joy. And at Pentecost, when the Spirit comes, Acts, Acts 2, when, the, when it's the fullness of the Spirit comes and indwells the believers, all three joyous occasions. And back in chapter 14, 13 through 17, Jesus promises another helper. They have the Father, they have the Son, but he promises another helper. The other helper is the Spirit, so the triune God is complete, is coming, another helper. In John 16, 16, a little while you will see me, and again a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. It's kind of a strange kind of a strange statement. You'll see me, and then you'll see me because I'm leaving. It's like me saying I'm going home right now and you guys are going to see me. It's not possible. It's, it seems odd. You will see me because I go to the Father. The Greek words are different here for see. One is theoreo. It means to look at experience. I can see you, theoreo. I am experiencing you via sight. The second is optonomy, so we get optic, optometrist, sight. And it means to behold something remarkable. It's different. We're going to behold something remarkable. We're going to see Jesus in a different light. They're going to see Jesus in a different way. But he's gone. How is that? The Spirit is coming. We're going to see the fullness of Christ come in the Spirit. He says, you will ask me nothing. He's leaving, going back to the Father, verse 16. No longer around to ask. Ask here is eroteo. I don't know if I pronounced that right. It's Greek. It means to ask for something or inquire of something. Like It means to like ask a question, inquire. Uh, you wanted to, to know what this meant or that meant. Or it could mean to ask for a need. It could mean both things. Most assuredly, amen, amen, truly, truly, Jesus is saying, listen up. Listen up. This is important. I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father's name, I will give it to you. Ask here changes to aiteo. It means to ask for something as far as needs go. It's always needs, right? It changes a little bit. So now we have direct access. They're going to have direct access to the Father. And this veil, the veil was torn. Remember Matthew, Matthew 27. The veil was torn. We have direct access to the Father. So in inquiries or supplications can be made directly to the Father. Ask the Father. You can ask the Father anything. We're the temple of God. The triune God has indwelled us at this point. Is going to indwell them, according to 1 Corinthians 6.19. We have full access to the Father at this point. They have full access to the Father. They, know, they no longer have a need for an earthly priest, like, the, like Catholicism. You've got to go to a priest and make your, your request known, your, your, your confession. The Judaism is the same way. You have to have a priest to, to make some type of atonement or petition to God for you. It's not, not, 
It's not so anymore. Christ, Christ is our high priest at this point. 1 John 2.20 But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Then in verse 27, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as taught you, you will abide in him. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was coming. It was promised to them. He's comforting them. I'm leaving. But it's better. Something better is coming. You ever wonder why we refer to the Holy Spirit as holy? We don't say Holy Father, which is true. We don't say Holy Christ or Holy Jesus, which is, those things are true. But we say Holy Spirit. Always when we refer to the Spirit, we say Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit of God. It's, it's the Spirit of God. It's, it's his job to generate holiness from, from our salvation to the point of salvation through our sanctification all the way to glorification. The, the Holy Spirit produces holiness. That's his job. That's why we refer to the Spirit as holy. generates holiness so when we pray as in the name of Christ in Christ's name for his namesake whenever you see something in the scriptures like as in Psalm 23 say he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake that means for God's glory when we pray in the name of Christ we pray in the name of his glory we're saying we're doing this for his glory for your namesake it's the same thing the Spirit aligns our desires with His desires. This is sanctification for His namesake, a.k.a. His glory. It's all about His glory. Is that an amen from the little one there? That's great. Love it. So to pray in Christ's name is, is to, it's not to ensure that it's, it's efficacy. It's not to, to make sure that it gets done. It's, it's not a stamp that you, that you put on a letter to make sure it gets there. It's for his glory. We pray in a, ma in a manner that is consistent to his will. That's the reason we pray in the name of Christ. We seal our prayer in Jesus' name. We align that prayer with his, with his purposes, his will, God's purpose, his will for us. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. One theologian implied that this was like a, a, a reprimand. Like, until, you ha until now, you haven't been doing it right. I don't, I don't really think that flows because they're in his presence. It's not like, Jesus, can we have something to eat? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's, there was no need. You, you had direct access to Christ. He was leaving. It doesn't really make sense in that context. Ask and you shall receive. This is the blessed promise. Ask and you shall receive our the name it, claim it bunch. <laughs> Go off on a rail. You know, all you got to do is visualize it, ask for it, and, and manifest it. Somehow, it's gonna, it's gonna appear. You know, that new car, or whatever. It's not true. And so, why is this? This blessed promise is, is made to us, and why? This is that your joy may be full. Answered prayer through the finished work of Christ. Christ was about to face the most unimaginable suffering, assuring them that it was, it was for their own good. 
I'm going away, but this is for you. He's going to the Father, but he's coming back. He's coming back by the Holy Spirit, autonomy. Behold. Behold the Lord of glory. You'll see him fully. Back in verse 7, Jesus. It is better that I go, that the helper may come. The Spirit of the God and the Father, Christ our King, indwelling us by the Holy Spirit. We're the temple. It is is to our advantage, it's to their advantage, that Christ be inside of us than beside of us. He's working from the inside out, not the other way around. Matthew 28, 20, he promises to be with them and us to the end of the age. Lo, I'm with you always. The end of the Great Commission. It's going to be with them and us. We have the mind of Christ at this point. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Matthew Henry says this, God has revealed true wisdom to us by his spirit. Here is a proof of the divine authority of scriptures. In proof of the divinity of the Holy Ghost, observe that he knows all things and he searches all things, even the deep things of God. No one can know the things of God but his Holy Spirit, who is one with the Father and the Son, who makes known divine mysteries to his church. This is most clear testimony. Both do, both to the real Godhead and instinct person of the Holy Spirit. The apostles were not guided by worldly principles. They had the revelation of these things from the Spirit of God and the saving impression of them from the same Spirit. These things they declared in plain, simple language, taught by the Holy Spirit, totally different from the affected, oratory, enticing words of man's wisdom. The Spirit of God led them. This is how he works. Christ leads them bodily, returns spiritually. God's glory should ultimately be our primary focus, our primary motivation. It's his primary motivation. It's God's primary motivation from creation to the fall to redemption, to consummation, to restoration. It's all his glory from beginning to end. And that should be our, at the forefront of our thought, especially in prayer, right? And we think of God's glory. You know, the, the five-year-old question uh, is, why does God need to be glorified? And the short answer is because he's God. The long answer is, it's to our benefit. It's ultimately to our benefit. You think of the things that, I mean, God's going to be glorified no matter what. Look, to, look at, at, at Pharaoh and those things that took place, and God was ultimately glorified in it, leading the children out of, out of Egypt. Um, but the things at the top of the list of the things that glorify God is obedience. In, in obedience to, to the word of God, the keeping of the commandments is ultimately what's best for mankind. Even the most devout atheist is a beneficiary of God's glory. 
even though he hates God. I mean, any, any atheist would prefer that I not kill them. Any atheist would prefer that I not lie to them. Any, anyone would prefer that I don't steal from them. It brings God the most glory. People borrow from a Christian worldview to, 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 to not steal or whatever. And then they say, well, there's no, there's no God. There's, you know, if there's no God, there's no law. If there's no law, you can break no law. So Jesus often, he had spoken in parables. And sometimes it was, it was pretty wild. The, the typical response was, how could this be or how could that be, you know? He spoke of raising the temple in three days. He, he spoke of being born again. And Nicodemus like, what am I going to, I'm going to enter my mother's womb and be born a second time. And, you know, Jesus went on to explain that which is born of spirit is spirit. And that which is born of flesh is flesh. Totally different thing. He's telling Nicodemus, everything you've done is rubbish. Start over. Be born again. Born again of the spirit. He spoke of living water that would end all thirst, right? Perhaps the... <laughs> The wildest one was like, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I will raise him up on the last day. And then he goes on to say that many of the disciples left. They're like, all right, I'm, this is too weird, I'm out. And he asked the remaining disciples, like, you leaving also? It's like, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're our Lord. Let them go. It's unimportant. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly about the Father. So back up in verse 12 here, says, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. They can't handle it. He's slowly unveiling himself, his glory, to the disciples. Slowly revealing who he is. can't just unload it on them. Reminds me of God revealing himself to Moses. He's like, but just hang out over here and I'm going to walk by and you're just going to see a tiny part of my glory. A little bit. It was so Moses could stand it. There's no way he could have, could have seen the glory of God and lived. He would have died immediately. A sinner can't do that. A sinful person can't do that. Back in chapter 12, verse 23, the hour has come. The Son of Man should be glorified. This farewell discourse is the unveiling of his glory from beginning to end. It started there. The hour is coming. The time that is coming is, is after his resurrection. Luke, let's look at Luke here. Verses 44 to 53. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. 
Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are a witness of these things. Behold, I send my, the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it has come to pass, while he blessed them, that he parted from them and carried up to heaven, was carried up to heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Before the cross, they couldn't comprehend the Son's redemptive work. They couldn't, they couldn't grasp it. It couldn't, it couldn't be made known to them. It was impossible. Think back to Abraham. God gave him a son after it didn't seem like it was going to happen. He blessed him with a son. And then he says, I need you to offer him to me as a sacrifice. His only son. gathered everything, he gathered his son, he gathered the wood for the, the burnt offering, went all the way through it right up into the point of taking his son's life, and God stayed his hand. He said, no. This is a foreshadowing of Christ. The difference is God is holy, the son is holy, and God did not withdraw his hand. The son didn't ask for a substitute, he willingly took it. Christ is the only person on this earth that has ever walked the face of this earth that knew what the wrath of God was like, the wrath of his Father, and he took it anyway. Christ is the only person ever lived that experienced the wrath of God while still alive, albeit a short-lived experience, but still alive. The wrath was due for multiples of, on top of multiples of people. This wrath was poured out on him for many millions or who knows billions I guess multiples of people and it was greater than any one man will ever have to experience not even the worst man that ever lived will experience that amount of wrath from God and he took it he said I will give my life for a ransom as for many Matthew twenty twenty eight. it was the only time in eternity that Christ not know the love of his own father, his only son. The wrath of God poured out on him on the behalf of many. He died the worst death, physical death, that anyone could on the cross after only being beaten to near death that would kill, should have killed him, would kill most men. So sinful man killing God while the while God pouring out his wrath on behalf of sinful man simultaneously. He was a worm. Psalm 22 tells us like a man, not like a man. Helpless, beaten, torn. You think of a worm. You can do with a worm what you will. That's what happened. He was handed over and they did with him what they will. They beat him, scourged him twisted a crown of thorn on his head, mocked him, said, Oh, king of the Jews. 
and made him carry a heavy cross up a hill. And they nailed him to it. On top of that, perhaps the saddest part, it was the only time in all eternity that Christ couldn't refer to his father as father. You think about that. All eternity, my father, my father. Perfect union, perfect harmony. But he says, well, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Father's love was withdrawing. He couldn't. He took the sin of man upon himself. The Father's love was not there. While his wrath was being poured on him. The wise, that first of all, that, the, that God would be glorified. That's first and foremost. And secondly, for his great love for us. And why does he have great love for us? Because he would be glorified. The fullness of his glory about to be unveiled completely. God's love and his glory are almost synonymous. If you think about it, that which brings him the most glory is obedience. Like I said, it benefits mankind. They would fully understand these things after his resurrection. Like we read in Mark, he's going to go through this. He was leading him through the scriptures, telling him this is, this is why these things happen. The fullness of his glory completely exposed. The spirit was coming to lead them in all truth and all righteousness. Why? For his glory. And in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. And in that day, so when the Spirit comes, you will ask in my name, praying in Christ's name or for his name's sake. He says, I do not say that I will, I'm going to take your prayers and then relay it to the Father. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. He doesn't, he's not a messenger that just takes a petition and <laughs> Josh needs this, you know, doesn't, it's greater than that. Direct access. Direct. Why? Because it lives within us, with the temple, the veil is torn. Father loves you because he loves me. Direct access to the Father is now possible because of Christ's finished work on the cross. The triune God indwells us via the Holy Spirit. And you have believed that I came from the Father. Jesus is not denying his priestly intercession for us. He's telling that in that day that they, us, may, may directly go to God. There's no there's no need. But what you do is pray in, in accordance to his will. You say, in the name of Christ, we ask these things. And this is maybe a preference of mine. I don't know. Um, but I kind of cringe when, when someone starts out a prayer to Jesus. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it. But I think there's an order because it's outlined in Scripture. Our Father, 
our Father. Romans 8, 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also makes intercession for us. Christ is not denying his intercessory work. But the door is always open. Intercession has been made. It's always there. In Romans 8, again, around verse 15, he says, The Spirit gives us an instinct to pray to the Father. We're now children of God. In contrast, spiritually weak people will ask others, or spiritually dead people will ask others to pray for them. In Exodus 20, or Exodus 12, I'm sorry, speaking of Pharaoh again, after Pharaoh decides to let him go, he, he asks Abraham for a blessing. So even, even Pharaoh is like, yeah, I don't, know, I don't want no more of this, and I'm not, he's, I'm not converted, but just please bless me. Ask, ask for a blessing on my behalf. Please. In Acts 8, Simon the sorcerer is offering money for the Holy Spirit. Like, hey, I think I can work with this. Can I have that? And what happened? Peter tells him to repent. <laughs> you don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're asking for. You need to repent. He was unregenerate. And then what did, what did Simon do? He says, pray for me. He's still unregenerate, but he still, he still recognizes that he's in need of a blessing because he just asked for one. He offered to pay for a blessing. You know, people ask me to pray for them all the time, and I do. And I want you to know something that I do pray for you. You don't really have to ask. And I mean, you're more than welcome to, but I visualize where people sit in the church. And I go through, and I pray for your needs, and I ask God to intercede where he needs to make, make supplications on your behalf. Because I love you, and it's my job. And it's a privilege. And a good model for prayer, if you've been in one of Paul's classes, is the Acts prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Thank, wait a minute, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Yeah, I almost had it. <laughs> Come up here. So that's a, good, that's a good model. But don't let that become mechanical or robotic. Don't, don't feel like you have to hit every mark every time you pray. It's, it's obviously a good thing to, to, to adore, adore God, adore Christ, the Christ, finished work of Christ. Adore that the Spirit of God dwells within you and be thankful for the finished work of Christ. Those are great things. But don't let it become a vain repetition. Don't let it become something that you feel like you have to do every time you pray. We were doing a prison ministry and we stopped at a restaurant and the guy that hosted, you know, we all had to fall under this one heading, you know, and the guy that 
that we had to fall under. Um, we, we went to eat, and he, he started praying over the food. And it was a good one. I mean, it was, it was long. And uh, it, was, it was a beautiful prayer. And uh, he ended it with, and all of God's children said, and his, his wife goes, is my food still cold? <laughs> or, or still warm? She says, is my food still warm? And I, I just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was great. It was long. It, that ruined it. <laughs> like, I, told her, remember the, I told him to remember the rule of thumb. You know what the rule of thumb is, right? It was back in the day you couldn't beat your wife with anything bigger than your thumb. So I said, just remember the rule of thumb whenever you go home. So. But it doesn't have to necessarily be wrong. It doesn't necessarily have to be that you're showing off. You don't have to hit all these marks. It's just a good model. In Matthew 6, Jesus himself gave us a model for prayer. And in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. Amen. So that's really what the Acts prayer is modeled after. It's the first part is, is asking for, for glory, for his for his namesake, the, the glory that he deserves. You, you know. then, he, then he's asking for God to work in the world. We're asking God to, to have your will with us work in this world, Lord. Then pray for daily needs, which implies that we are to pray daily, right? And Paul even goes further. He says to pray without ceasing. Our, our greatest need is, is for our debts to be forgiven, so we you know, confession in, in the Acts prayer, the adoration, confession is the very next thing. Get that off your chest. And finally, protection. It's a model. You know, you don't have to be mechanical. You don't have to, you don't have to hit every mark every time. It's not that God's not going to hear your prayer. But use that model. And all these requests may be brought to the Father for Christ's namesake or for his glory, stemming from his atoning work. This is all for his glory again. Direct access to God, the Father, is a privilege of the child of God. It's that we may cry, Abba, Father. So now Jesus is leaving him, them to go to the Father. The Spirit is coming in his place. Again, the Holy Spirit's job is to make us holy unto Christ, working from the inside out. It won't be long now. In my favorite chapter, we're going to read the words. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the word of God to sanctify us, making us more holy. We, we read the truth. The Holy Spirit applies the truth brings us to holiness. H.B. Charles says this, it is the will of God for the Spirit of God to make us like the Son of God through the Word of God. It's beautiful. It all begins with prayer in Christ's name's sake for His glory. It's all possible 
because of Christ's finished work on the cross. That redemptive work where he suffered and died. The wrath of God poured out on him and he couldn't even look to the Father and call him Father anymore for a moment. Prayer and study is a privilege. Let us be ever more faithful in it, beloved. Let us pray. Merciful Father, we thank you so much for, again, your word and the spirit that indwells us, the triune God that indwells us by the spirit and the finished work of Christ that we may even come before your throne of grace to make petitions, to ask, ask for needs or inquiry and have direct access to you by the spirit through the finished work of Christ. Let us be ever more faithful. Let us have the the glory of God, the glory of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, at the forefront of our thought as we leave here today. Let it be manifested in our lives. And as the Greeks said, we wish to see Jesus. Again, we love you. We praise your holy name. And it's the name of Christ. All of, we, all of us pray. Amen.